You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania with Damien Reed. Yes, Motormania with you through until midday. Naz Chowdhury is sticking around for the second hour because we're going to talk a lot about the uh, we're going to talk about the Qatar Motor Show and a whole lot of other things. Imtishan Jado has joined us in the studio. Good morning, Imtishan. Good morning. Great to be back. It is indeed great to have you back. Uh, now, um, did you see anything that that sort of uh, rocked your world with the Qatar Motor Show? <laughs> Um, I did like that Porsche Mission X. Mm. I like that sort of new electric supercar. I like the look of it. I don't like the fact that it's electric because I think Porsche could have done something amazing with petrol for their last car. But it's the way of the world. This is what it's going to be. It is indeed. Naz has been down there, so we're going to come to you in a, in, a, in a few moments on that one, Naz. Um, now, you've also been running around in the new Chevrolet Silverado. Good-looking car, I must say. Good-looking, beefy car, the ZR2 or ZR2 on this side <laughs> of the colonies. Um, so what is a ZR2? Basically, it's the stock Silverado, but lifted with very fancy suspension and some very clever tricks like front and rear locking differentials. All that really means is this is the equivalent of a Silverado Wrangler. It has all that mm. sort of rock crawling, rock hopping capability, but it has, of course, the massive interior, the good electronics and stuff that you come to expect from Silverado. So a very, very well-kitted out car. What it is not is not a Raptor because okay. Raptors are designed for going fast. These are not designed for going fast, per se. These are very different kind of experience. So how do I describe the Silverado? I would describe it as very good value because it's 240,000 dirhams versus the approximately 400 you get for a Raptor. It's about 420 horsepower versus the um, this a little bit more of the Raptor, but it doesn't really matter. These are big, heavy trucks, not fast ones. The off-road toys are, for most people, a better fit mm. because with front and rear locking dips, if you turn them on, you can never get stuck in the sand. It has these multi-matic shocks, which are super trick. They basically smooth out the ride on and off-road. So this is the best handling Silverado I've ever driven. It's not a jumper in the way that a Raptor is. I don't recommend that you jump your Raptor, but you can. They're built for it. The Silverado is more built to take you anywhere. And frankly, it's super well kitted out. It's got all the you know, surround view cameras, decent sound system, etc. And it's a good looking truck, even if the tires are a little bit too small. But the ground clearance is absolutely amazing. What don't I like about it? It's enormous. It's mm. absolutely enormous, <laughs> like all big size pickup trucks. In the news, I like that they had the old one and a half door Raptor for years. Now yeah. they don't. Now they got yeah. the double cab only. And these considerably less practical because they're tricky to park. Fuel economy. I mean, it is a big V8. It's a great sounding V8, but it is a V8. And the last thing, but this is Chevrolet won't like this as much as everything else. I still don't think the interior is as good as the Ford and Dodge oh, Ram rivals. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, funny if you say that. A few people have uh, just been away with Ford and, and, and one or two people uh, were talking about uh, the, 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 the two Raptors, the Ranger and the, the F-Series, and people are buying the Ranger because they find the F is a bit too big, too wide in some it's cases. It's also too expensive. Let's just cut to the chase. It's expensive, yeah, for sure. The um, uh, Ranger Raptor is about 260, 270. It is the near-perfect pickup truck. The I do love Raptor. it. I'm a big fan. Uh, now, playing in a different sandpit this week, I was driving the Toyota Crown. Uh, this one, it's um, the, the the badge has returned. Is it a big lush saloon with velour well, seats and it pockets? actually very? <laughs> it says two versions. There's the XLE and there's the Platinum. I had the Platinum, <gasps> and it is the return of a badge that I thought I would never see again. It's the favourite in Australia anyway of bowling clubs in the 1970s. Um, bowling but- <laughs> clubs. You'll have to define that later. <laughs> Lawn bowls. Um, but the crown is back, and it brings with it a very futuristic design. Now, the original crown, I have to say, was. 
an uninspiring car from a driver's perspective. It was extremely comfortable, very cushy, great for long well distance loved, touring. Though, be careful what you say in the Middle East. Well loved the Toyota Crown. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and, and it had loads of rooms. Um, they're all things that you can say about the new one too. Um, because I took it to Abu Dhabi on a, on a quick run. It was set and forget. It was a lounge room on reels. Wasn't inspiring to drive, but that's not its, that's not its wheelhouse, as they say. Um, Lexus like luxury inside i've got to say it uses the crown badge instead of the toyota badge so it's 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 like like less like lexus it's trying to distance itself a bit from toyota now prices one hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred. the one that i tested was two hundred twenty nine thousand nine hundred. you compare that to camry starts at 112 the camry hybrid starts at 143 now here's the thing the lexus es starts at 215 so it's actually above the es 350 in its premium trim which is going to be an interesting decision. I have a question then. Go on. Is, uh, looking at it, is it a car or an SUV? Because you've just talked about cars. Can yes. we yes? Well, yeah, it's, it's a little higher. It, it, in terms of luxury, it rivals the ES350. And that's why I was driving it. I was thinking, wow, it feels... If I was looking for an ES350, I'd be looking at this. But then you're cannibalizing. You're taking one sale away from one Toyota branch to another. So that that's an issue that the guys are going to have to... Well, there is that perception of the S350 or ES cars in general being sort of, you know, Uber cars. So this is maybe one way to look at that. Well, this could be an Uber car too, I think. Um, (laughs) Handbags are done. But um, both models get eight-way power adjustable front seats, dual zone climate air, ambient interior lighting, panoramic sunroof, ventilated front seats, all great stuff. Same mechanicals in both uh, variants. They both get adaptive cruise control, stop and go functionality, lane change assist, front cross traffic. Front cross traffic alert as standard. Um, so I guess the main difference between the models, the Platinum has a larger information display compared to the 8-inch unit on the XLE. It's a 12.2-inch unit with an audio system. It's a JBL unit. Um, visually, the difference between the Platinum and the regular one, it's the, the Platinum is the one is the two-tone one you see, the black with the black highlights, the black hood and the black tail. Um, I'm not sure about how that looks. I'd still, my mind's not made up as whether that black looks the right part. It, Looks great it's on like a 1960s black Bentley. On the outside of a car, it's piano yeah, black. It's subjective. Um, but as you say, raised ride height. So it does give you that crossover-like forward vision, which is great. And it's also good for our notorious and endless speed humps. You don't have to worry about it, about scraping and all that kind of thing. Um, 2.4-litre turbocharged hybrid four-cylinder engine, 286 horsepower, 460 newton metres from the petrol motor plus another 82 and 282 newton metres from the electric motor that's in the rear axle. So that gives you a combined about 340 horsepower, so therefore 0 to 100 around about 5.5 seconds. That feels quick. Yeah, but it's not, again, it's not really what the car's about, but it's good to do a six-speed auto. Um, Six-speed? Yes, in that one. Not an eight, not a ten. No, I don't think so. I might need to double check on that, but anyway. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that that was the uh, that was the uh, the Toyota Crown. Um, but I'll be curious to see how sales go in time with that against the Lexus ES three fifty. Uh, Interesting car. I think the Crown needs to come back. I'm not sure if you need to come back like that, but you know what? Why yeah. not? One question I would ask: mm-hmm. This two point four turbo. This is the engine that's in the new Land Cruiser. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, without, so. without the hybrid system. Yeah. Did it inspire you? Not in this car, but it does the job. The, the, I imagine the fuel economy on the long run was great. It was great to have a Derby and back, but, uh, but anyway, there we go. This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station.
Yes, welcome back. I'm Damien Red, and you're listening to Motor Mania, and I'm joined by Indachan Giado and Naz Chowdhury. And uh, we've got a text message in saying, Hi, guys, I'm loving all this truck talk, but can you tell me what is the best performing two-door truck that I can buy at the moment? I like the full size. I currently have a Sierra 1500. Imtishan, that's uh, that's your that's your area. I feel targeted by this because I had a two-door <laughs> Ram. Um, Silverado's great, really good truck. I think of all, you can't go wrong with any of them. If yeah. you like that big V8 noise, the F150 is great. I like the Ram. Yeah, it rides the best of all of them. Off-road, it is absolutely amazing. It's a little bit cheaper, but if you're why ask this question? Which tribe do you belong to? Chevrolet, Ram, Ford? That's Pick your poison. They're all fine. I, I go Ram. Yeah, there you go. Uh, okay, now let's go straight to Qatar and Doha. Naz, you were you were there at the uh, the inaugural, the first ever Geneva International Automotive Motor Show in Qatar. Yes, very, very interesting. Uh, first of all, starting by the name, because it's Geneva. I told my friends we're going to the Geneva Motor Show, and then they see my Instagram, and they're like, <laughs> what are you doing in Doha? It doesn't make sense. But actually, Doha planned it really well in, in collaboration with Qatar Tourism, and they really put a lot of effort into this because it was it was almost a speed week, they called it. So there was mm. a big classic car event. There was F1 weekend that was going on as well. There was the um, the museum, this classic car museum that they're building the inventory for, and they promoted as well. And of course, most importantly, it was actually the first Geneva International Motor Show on the road, right? And yeah, it's yeah. actually a permanent thing now. So it's going to be every second year. Now, being the first international one, you know, not all the manufacturers got there. In fact, I didn't actually see any American brands. Um, we saw the staples, you know, Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, McLaren, uh, some interesting cars coming out of, out of their camps because we actually had you know, world premieres, which were released within this region, which mm. is really nice to see that, you know, automotive is making noise here and large manufacturers are releasing within this region. Um, we also saw a lot of newer brands. I mean, if I if I mention names like Jelco, Omada, Lincoln Co, Vinfast, you're probably thinking, what? Yeah. You know, it's just crazy in terms of how many different manufacturers are coming out. Um, as I mentioned at the start of the show, you know, Chinese manufacturers, I was speaking to one of the uh, executives at Cherry, over 180 that's different brands and wow. growing fast. Um, so the Jelco and the Omada are actually under the Cherry brand. Yep. So Cherry and Geely, arguably the two larger players. And I think what we're going to find, well, what this executive was saying at Cherry was um, the brands, uh, they're going to look into it and then they'll somehow consolidate and, and merge uh, as JLR did and things like that. Yeah. And over the next yeah. five, 10 years, we're going to have two, three, four strong contenders. So in terms of Cherry's new arm, the Omada, is like a futuristic, modern look take on the car. Okay, uh, you can call it the Exceed of Geely. Yeah. So Cherry, you know, Exceed is owned by Geely, yep. and Omada is owned by Cherry. So there's like the, the, right, the okay. futuristic, yes. young, modern, you know, tech screens inside and things like that. The Jelco is more towards the, the off-road and the four x four. So they're trying to build different brands within segments. Vinfast was another very interesting one. It's actually a Vietnamese brand. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Really, really interesting car. Uh, they've only been around for a few years, but apparently they've already sold a uh, few hundred thousand units. Okay. And get this, Lincoln Co., which mm. is a new... I'm curious to see how they go. So this is a mm. partnership between Geely and Volvo. So it's yep. really interesting because you've got like two completely different brands, but we've seen that works with Renault and Nissan, right? Yeah. You know, like when, when you put two random companies together, you know, great things happen. So Lincoln Co., although we never heard of them, 
they've sold over a million units. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're really growing. And now it's just about choosing which brands they want to export, right? So, mm. you know, a lot of these brands are only in China. But Jelco, Omada, Lincoln Co. have the intention of selling within the region. Um, so that that's one part. I mean, in terms of, you know, the household names, Lamborghini. Yeah. Um, introduced the future of, of where they're looking to go. So it's not officially going to be released, the Lanzador. Yeah. Uh, but they're just testing the market. How do you take away the DNA of a Lamborghini yeah. and still retain the brand as a Lamborghini? Of course, Lamborghini is all about the big V12 yep. engines, right? So um, the Lanzador, it's, it's like a sports car SUV. It's a bit of a tough segment to put it in, but it received, it, it looked quite good, actually. It yep. looked really good. Um, then you had the Lamborghini Revelto, so they, they still have the V12 beating heart, but they've also incorporated the hybrid system in there as well, which is great. And as Imtan, Imtishan was saying, you know, every 10 years, Porsche come out with a new car. So, you know, you had the Carrera GT, which was fantastic. It was an old F1 engine that was on the shelf that was never used. And then they had the 918, and uh, which was a, a phenomenal hybrid car. Mm. And I just feel they should have gone out with a bang. I mean, they've perfected combustion engine yeah. cars with the Carrera ST of which sadly they only made 1963 and if anyone knows about the ST that is my pick of the 911s but with that I think car, from what I've seen so far definitely I mean what they've done is they've literally just shown off and taken the best yeah. bits of everything over the past 60 years yeah the 60 years yeah. and said right we're going to build a perfect car but they know full well that supply the demand is going to outstrip supply yep. and they can do that and they can get away with it i mean i'd love to get my hands on one i sat, I, I went to the guy there and i was like he said how do i get my hands they started laughing he's like look it's not going to happen you know qatar has an allocation of two ua has an allocation of three maybe four okay and they've all been pre-sold and pre-done and they've actually put something in there that says you're not allowed to sell it for a year as well yeah um so yeah i mean that's a shame the mission x as you said it would have been nice to have a combustion engine in there to go out with a bang the last hurrah yeah but sadly, it is all electric, so yeah. I don't know how that's going to work. Lovely car, though. Good-looking car. I saw it uh, back over in uh, in Germany a few months ago. Uh, sorry, Le Mans, uh, early in the year. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah interesting stuff from down there. Um, and uh, in Doha, of course, there was a Formula 1 as well, and there was a, a classic car auction, I think, and a, and a concourse. So, yeah, they're doing really good things. Um, back closer to, to town, we uh, we had a new showroom opening up this week, and it is for McLaren. It's the, uh, the largest standalone McLaren showroom in the world. 950 square metres down there in Sheikh Zayed Road. It's the former Audi premises near the metro station. Um, not surprisingly, Dubai is the biggest UAE market for McLaren and is also the regional debut of the 750S supercar. So uh, attached to the same location is the largest dedicated service centre globally for McLaren, 3,400 square metres. How about that? Um, has a capacity to service up to 150 cars a month and includes the uh, McLaren Special Operations Studio as well. So I caught up with... Uh, with uh, the CEO of McLaren Automotive, Michael Letters, to have a chat with him because um, also new distributors with McLaren. It was previously Al Habtour, but it's now um, it's now McLaren Dubai, which operates under Performance Tuning LLC. That's part of the uh, Khalifa Juma Al Nabuda group of companies. So they're a newish official retail partner of McLaren Automotive, and they're now set up with uh, 
this new showroom down there. 13 years old as McLaren, but of course they've been racing for 60 years. So uh, yeah, had very lucky to have a chat with uh, Michael Leaders for Motormania. I always say we are the only racing team which are building cars. All the others are car manufacturers that are also racing. One of the things I, I love about driving your cars is that there is a real connection between the, the, the driver and the car because it's a very focused motor vehicle. Now we're sort of uh, moving into different worlds with electrification and everyone's talking about moving into that area. Obviously you have McLaren one of the first to move into hybrid technology with the uh, with the P1. Where do you see the future of McLaren going? Because with those vehicles, there is a risk that you do lose that driver connection. You always have to stick with your product DNA. And our product DNA is performance and engagement. And we have been always open to technologies. We have taken the best of electrification. We combined it with the best of internal combustion powertrains. And we created a fantastic car, very nimble, very light, very responsive. And I think for the next years, hybrid technology will be the most appropriate and the most suitable for our demands, but also for the demands for regulations and the customers. I think there will be a niche for internal combustion engines, pure uh, internal combustion engines to create something very particular, very emotional engaging. As McLaren, we have started to understand what could it mean to have an electric powertrain. But this is, for me, right now, not mature. This will come to the end of the decade. It has to fulfill their brand requirements, the promises we give our customers to have the most performing and the most thrilling car you can imagine. Yeah, so Michael Leaders, obviously the former design chief at Ferrari and also the man who was uh, one of the guys responsible for the, uh, the the Porsche Cayenne SUV, saying there that, uh, well, the combustion engine is going to hang around for, for quite some time yet. There will be obviously hybridisation and electrification. So the natural question I had to ask him is if McLaren would deliver a full EV sports car. There are two elements, right? One is the innovation piece. And from the pure technological point of view, I can imagine that at the end of the decade, we can create a supercar, a real supercar, not what we are seeing today on, on the streets with two tons and 2,000 horsepower, right? But a real supercar, 1,500 kilograms, something like that, with an electric powertrain, end of the decade. But there's also the customer point of view. If you innovate against the customer, it's arrogant. So we shouldn't do that. So we have to create something which is really engaging like an IC car today. If you can do that, then we can go also with electric. If not, no. Looking at other supercar manufacturers, the paths that they're going down, Ferrari, we talked about Lotus, they're moving into the more family-oriented cars and SUVs. I don't want to even bring up the SUV word, but their argument is that uh, that's where volume comes from and that's where profit comes from and of course you're you were heavily involved in a previous life with the with the porsche kn project as well are you happy to remain as a low volume manufacturer of sports cars we are open to that uh, but the first step we have to do is we have to enforce our core business our core business is supercars so we have to understand what is the future of our supercars we have a very clear vision for that and a very clear plan what we want to do and if we are on a good way to execute that then we can think about the second step. And the second step can definitely be and must be at a certain point to understand how we can extend our business, our source of business. As you said, uh, in Ferrari and in, in, in Porsche, I was already heavily involved in SUVs. It could be something in this segment, but no decision taken on that. We are open to that, but in the right moment. Right now, we have to do other things. 
So, Michael, it is keeping the door open ajar just a little bit for uh, for a McLaren SUV and maybe even a full electric vehicle sports car in the future. But we also talked about um, this the last time. I asked him, too, um, how the information McLaren gets from their Formula One race cars helps develop their road cars. So I think it's a very important thing on the collaboration between automotive and Formula One. If you take the MP4, the car uh, Senna uh, drove so successfully. And if you think about the first road car, the MP4 12C with a carbon fiber chassis, the first car with a carbon fiber sh- chassis as a road car. And uh, McLaren is still the only company who has all its cars, road cars with a carbon fiber and monocoque chassis. There's a lot uh, we can have, but it has to be substantial. And we are working on that. And uh, we are really both, I think, really happy about the development we have, we have taken in the last uh, 12, 14 months. Yes, that was Michael Leiters, the CEO of McLaren Automotive. Great to have him uh, on Motormania exclusively for us. Uh, interesting thing, the thing I love about McLaren is that uh, the, the, the the boss of the motor racing side is still can still fit into a Formula One car and take it for a run because Zach Brown actually just yesterday took Daniel Ricciardo's old uh, McLaren F1 car out for a spin. I love that, Naz. Actually drove it himself. Yeah, so he did a few laps in wow, Barcelona. That's uh, He's the only F1 team owner that can still drive an F1 car. Still has his racing license. Wow. Loving it. Incredible. And he loves classic cars and classic race cars as well. So um, <laughs> some great stuff Sounds there. Sounds like but kind of guy. <laughs> absolutely. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania with Damien Reed. Welcome back. I'm Damien Reed, and you're listening to Motormania, and I'm joined in the studio by Indeshan Jado and Naz Chowdhury. Now, uh, I've done something in the chain that you love doing. I got out in the desert this week, but I went a little... Was it an accident? No, it was, it was actually very deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> I went a little further south than here, though. I went down to Musket. And, uh, and 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 hung out in the dunes there and found a few waddies to blast through. Um, enjoyed it. There's a heat wave down there at the moment. So driving the new, the new Ford Everest. And, uh, yeah, Musker, enjoying a brief heat wave right now. This time of year, we're out in the wilds with this car, nearly 50 degrees out there at the moment. Um, I'm pretty sure, though, that nearly everyone who buys, who's going to buy this seven-seater is not going to take them waddy bashing or thumping through the dunes the way we did. But it's good to know that not only can it do it, it actually did a very, very good job of this. And because uh, I've got to say, I mean, I've been doing this for 30 plus years. That's one of the tougher car launches I've done on the car for quite some time. The sand was very, very soft. It was midday by the time we got out there. So the sand is the softest. Too many it's pastries going to be. in the morning, everybody moving slowly. No, no pastries for me, plenty of fruit. <laughs> um, <laughs> straight into it. And uh, and then there was a, still a lot of water in the in the waddies running around and very sharp rocks around there. So had to be quite careful out there. Stock cars, but all of them? completely stock cars. The nice. temperature cage did not budge one inch above half. The mm. air conditioning was perfect during the whole thing. Uh, and running it through the, the through the, say, through the waddies full of uh, these jagged rocks, I mean, I wouldn't take my own car through there. But the car that I was in, the, the Limited, we were running on the 21-inch factory rims on the low-profile oh. tyres through the sand and the whole lot. And we did, well, put it this way, I didn't get stuck, um, just blasted through it. So that in itself spoke a lot to me about that. Um, the Ford team was down there. I spoke to uh, Andrew Gregory, who's the, uh, the the brand marketing manager at Ford Middle East. And, um, well, I did say that it does look like the Ranger, but there is a lot that is new and bespoke to the Everest. So I asked him straight up, obviously, the obvious question, what's the difference between this 
and the Ford Ranger. From the A-pillar forward, the car is very similar to the Ranger, right? You've got a similar powertrain, you've got a similar front-end design. It shares a lot of the Ford's design DNA with that C-clamp headlamp and that, that whole front fascia. But really, that's where the difference kind of stops. From there backwards, it's a completely redesigned vehicle. It shares the same platform with both the Ranger and the Bronco, the T6 platform. But ultimately, you know, the vehicle has been really designed for, for family, specifically for comfort that blends that, that uh, rugged off-road capability as well. So it's not just about being an on-road player. It's about having that, that capability to go into the dunes, take the family to the beach at the weekend, you know, go to the campsite and all that kind of thing. So it really has a, a, a dual-use versatility about it that we, that we don't see. And it's a new space for Ford to play in, in, the, in the region as well. Um, we're really good in the off-road space. Traditionally, with vehicles like the Bronco, they're five-seater, they're really rugged and capable. We've got the vehicles like the Explorer that are, you know, seven seats, so they share that space. But unibody chassis, very tight, very rigid, very comfortable on road, but not really designed for that off-road. So the Everest is really the vehicle that blends those two spaces and brings that uh, that dual-use versatility. So where in your product range does the Everest sit now? It's um, a mid-size SUV, right? It's got seven seats. So really, as I said, it kind of sits between the Explorer and the Bronco. Um, the Explorer being uh, the phrase I used last night, you know, the vehicle that you use to go to the campsites so the family can hike up the mountain. The Bronco being that rugged, uh, strong vehicle that can go over the mountain. Mm-hmm. And the Everest blends the two in terms of having the comfort and capability to take you to and through the mountain range. And I was looking at the car when we were parked in the in the sand and going, wow, this is a, what we've done is what I expect to, to do in, say, a, a Ranger Raptor or even an F-150 Raptor. But it's a car that looks like it's just going to roll down to the pick up the kids and do the shopping at Spinney's as well. So so what, what kind of buyers do you think would be attracted to uh, to a car that is, is built like a heavy-duty off, off-roader, but is also, in all intents and purposes from the outside, looks like a family car? Yeah, I, th- oh, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, right? It's the, the dual-use versatility of the vehicle really gives you those options. I mean, you've got the opportunity to take the kids to the school, go get the groceries, do that family lifestyle kind of thing that you need to do. And then, you know, from the research that we've we've uh, understood in the region, you know, not that many people take their vehicles that regularly in the dunes. Typically, if you're, if you're a real dune basher, you'll go and buy a dedicated vehicle. But what the Everest offers is really the opportunity to live that dual lifestyle. You know, you want to go into the dunes at the weekend, you want to go camping, you can do that. Yeah, so that was Andrew Gregory, the brand marketing manager at Ford Middle East, uh, describing the the car in a sense. Now, it, yeah, I mean, when you see the car, it does look like a Ranger. It looks like a a, a Ranger for the family, um, and it does have a lot in common with it. But uh, the fact is that everything from the windscreen pillar back is bespoke for the Everest. Most noticeably, is you, you need. Uh, a, a set, um, bespoke rear suspension because it's carrying people and not cargo, obviously. So the Everest, uh, the difference is the Everest has a beam axle with a Watts Link rear end coil spring suspension, um, much like a lot of passenger cars do. So the suspension then articulates a little better than the Ranger in the up and down movements compared to the Panhard rod u- unit that's used on the Ranger with its live rear end leaf springs. That's great for carrying heavy loads, but you don't need to worry about comfort when you're carrying loads. So uh, with, uh, with a car like the Everest, it has to carry stuff, but it's got to carry people in comfort as well. What's um, the engine? It's the, uh, it's the uh, four-cylinder, 2.4 four-cylinder four um, turbo. So, so Explorer motor, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it did, a, did a fine job with that. So, uh, 50 degrees as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, 2.4-litre, four-cylinder turbo. It had no issues with the steep climbs whatsoever. The, 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 and it was the, uh, the, tense, the, the old favourite 10-speed auto that, that Ford is using right across the range now. Um, and I, the thing is, I left it and I, I, I went to put it into a manual mode 
obviously because I wanted to hang on to the to the gears when you you don't want to get stuck. Mm-hmm. The only thing to drop mm-hmm. into a whole tall gear when you're halfway up a hill. And uh, and it was actually Andrew who said, "Look, I just, we did all the pre runs in drive. Just leave it in drive." And so he put in sand mode. I'm guessing. Yeah, obviously in sand mode. Tires deflated and all that sort of thing. The diff unlocked and, and various other things. All the all the same, but I left it in drive. And I had the same experience with the Ranger Raptor. When I've driven Land Rovers in particular, they have really good sand modes, but they do run the revs too high because they don't want you to get bogged. Yeah. Whereas the Ranger drove it exactly how I would drive it in manual. It was uncanny how the electronic brain could just sort of map itself. Absolutely, precisely correct. Yeah. I, I've never thought, oh, I'll just take it out of sand. I always control the gears myself, either paddles yeah. or shifters. This car, I'm just like, no, let it handle it. It's fine. It's not what it's doing. Yeah, I was a bit concerned. I thought, oh, I want to be in control of the gears. But I thought, okay, if you guys did the pre-run with it, I'll do it. If we get stuck, we can drag out. Didn't get stuck. It's fantastic. What does this compete with? Because as a truck-based chassis, I would assume it competes something with the Fortuna, but it's much too plush for that. I'm, it's not pro- Is it Prado? I'm going to throw a Prado in there. Prado. I'm going to say it's a, Prado. It's, it's, it's a Prado competitor. Pathfinder? Yeah. Absolutely. No, no. Pathfinder uh, is not an off-road car. I would uh, say it's one level down the Pathfinder yeah. what it used to okay. be. Good car, but not an off-road car. Do you yeah. find... F- f- it looks like a fairly big car, just yeah. looking at the pictures now. Four-cylinder, underpowered? Well, have a look at my Instagram, yeah. at Damien Reed, <laughs> and you'll see some video footage of it flying up the dunes, and you'll see... You'll ask yourself, is that really a four-cylinder? It's really... Absolutely it's, flew. It's incredible. It's like when I was at the motor show, you got the... Tuareg, which yep. is a five-seater, by the way. They're releasing the new one now. Yeah, it, it was actually launched, debuted in Doha, which is quite cool. Yeah, which is a V6. But one thing that always puzzled me was the larger Terramount, which yep. is a seven-seater, is just a two-liter TFSI. Yeah, so I'm thinking they're, they're getting amazing torque out of these, and and they are. And I, you know, the early mm. Terramont for me was arguably slightly underpowered, and yeah. you know, what was the engine in that? Yeah. V six, V six, two liter turbo. Yeah, just the normal Golf GTI engine. Yeah. TFSI. So I was also also caught up with uh, Pedro Simos. He's the marketing director at Ford Middle East. Now he talked about the different trims that are available for the uh, for the new Ford Everest. There are three trims, quite distinctive. This is what Pedro had to say. The Everest comes in three trims. Uh, the XLS, uh, it's our entry trim. We have the mid-range, which is the XLT, and then we have the top of the range, the Limited, which comes with all you know, the tech features and all the equipment uh, that is available. I guess the XLS is more of a government fleet kind of thing. The XLT is a family car, is that right? Yeah, so I think XLS, yes, it, it caters to either a bit more budget-conscious customer or the fleet, uh, mm. and then as you walk up on the trims, you get more features, you get more content you get more luxury as well the feeling of, of the car is different so depending on what you're looking for what is the purpose you're buying the car um you know you can walk up on the trims with the larger diameter wheels as well which is amazing in the de- 21 inch rims in the yeah. desert which is almost unheard of to to be able to do that kind of thing but two engine options the petrol and a diesel what kind of split do you think we might see for the uae market with those two I think uh, when we look at the market in the region, there is always a preference for the petrol. So I think the majority of the volume is going to be on the petrol. Uh, the diesel, there is a growth demand for the diesel uh, on retail. There is a lot of demand for the diesel on the fleet. The main engine, I think it's still going to be the petrol, the 2.3 uh, with 296 uh, horsepower. Yeah, no shortage of that. Uh, 10-speed auto too, which is uh, such a versatile transmission. It's used in so many things. And out there, I said to Andrew, who we spoke to just a few moments ago, before we headed up the sand dunes, do I put it in a manual? Do I need it in first? or second he said leave it and drive and phenomenal talk and the way it managed to meter that out it's an interesting 
interesting mix with with what you see but uh so i'm guessing it'll be all about the families with this car yes it's all about the families but just going back to the you know to the transmissions it's a well-proven out transmission right we've used across many many of the products on our lineup uh, even the powertrain right is the same powertrain that we have on the bronco on the mustang so proven out we know that it's capable uh, if you put it on the bronco we know that it, you know if you go into the desert you're going to meet the, the, the demand right you're going to be there it's, it's not going to be short of anything so i think from a family side you are you know, perfectly well uh, equipped uh, to go anywhere. Yeah, so that was uh, Pedro Simos, the marketing director at Ford Middle East, talking about uh, yeah about the, uh, the the new Ford Everest. Now it's built in uh, in Thailand, I think, at the same factory that makes the Ranger with the engineering and design from the team at Ford Australia. So um, they've done a great job with that, as they've done with the Ranger pricing for this one. The all important pricing XLS uh, one forty nine thousand nine hundred dirhams. That's a very keen pricing. Absolutely, um, that's one of the things that probably more go towards fleets and government uses and that sort of thing because right. that's the one that comes with the diesel option that works in diesel engines still working in some market interesting they've not gone down a hybrid path because they feel that the diesel is a more usable engine for remote areas um, the XLT which is probably the volume car for this market 159.9 still good and the limited the top line the one that I drove in the uh, out there 189.9 for the limited wow that's yes. all under 200 absolutely yeah Oh, so, by the way, random fun fact, uh, that gearbox he was talking about, same one in the Silverado, because Ford ah, and yes. GM developed it together. Yeah, okay. So, big 6.2 V8, tiny 2.3, same transmission, same it's, gearbox. It's, like I said, it's versatile, absolutely versatile. So, that's the Ford Everest, uh, and it's on. it'll be in showrooms very, very soon, so good stuff. This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. Yes, welcome back into the uh, the finals hour. We can see the checkered flag in sight. I'm Damien Reed, and you're listening to Motor Mania, and I'm joined by Imtis Anjata and Naz Chowdhury. Now, the question is, is there anything that makes you anxious when parking? I'll tell you straight up what makes me anxious when parking, and that is when I'm trying to do a reverse parallel park that I was trying to do, and someone decides to, to dive in behind you or sit so close behind you that they can't read the fact that you're trying to reverse park, and they're just flashing their lights and horns, and there's and it just creates a traffic jam. That annoys me. What about you guys? Um, Shen, what's, what's... Backing out at supermarket car parks, which is why I like rear cross traffic a lot. Very hard thing to say fast. Rear yes. cross traffic a lot saves your life. The problem is, same problem you have with your parallel parking. I'm sorry to get nerdy here for a second. People <laughs> see your reverse lights. I automatically slow down, stop what I'm doing. But people in supermarket just pushing their trolleys, just driving behind cars, backing up behind them. Yeah. No idea what's going on. Prams. Everybody's yeah. trying to get murdered by me. It's not a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, very quick shout out and a message uh, from Rich in Abu Dhabi. Get back. The best thing I've heard on Dubai all week. Loved it. Um, that's thanks to our music director, Zena Zalameda, who's organized that for us this morning. Um, uh, Naz, uh, what, what what bugs you with, uh, with, with parking? Honestly, like... Exactly what you said. You, you're, you're just cruising along in a car park because ultimately you don't want to be doing more than five, seven kilometers an hour in a car park, right? Yeah. So you're driving there and there's someone behind you, like literally bumper to bumper. You find something, you do what you should do, which is indicate left. So you're just moving into the right so you can reverse in. And you're doing all the right things. You're indicating, you're moving to the right, preparing for that, re- preparing for that reverse park. Yeah. 
but literally stuck on your bumper and it's just so annoying and then it's like you're doing something wrong when you're trying to reverse into the parking spot they make you feel guilty yeah. like, I have to scratch anything have I done something wrong I here? feel like there's <laughs> no excuse for a supermarket car park incident there's no in- excuse for an accident there well, it's crazy stuff I mean you know and it creates stress and this is the thing that came out from this study from the UK it, it does create stress I that, can see how sorry yeah um, that AutoTrader revealed how uh, how scary drivers find parallel parking. Sends their heart rate soaring by 57% on average. Um, they conducted a study to measure how stressed drivers find parking, revealing that heart rates spiked the most, on average, as I said, 57%. When performing a parallel park, and I can relate to that um, because of what we just talked about, people do, don't, won't let you parallel park when they close up too close behind. Every second counts, right? That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, followed by a 46% rise for reverse bay parking. There you go uh, in the shed. You're bang on the money there. And a 41% heart rate rise uh, doing a forward bay park, interestingly enough. Okay, I admit I get a little bit anxious if I'm in a low-riding sports car, like I had the Lotus Amira yesterday, and I'm thinking, and I don't want to hit those bollards in front Bumper and, and, and wipe the, the carbon fibre front splitter. <laughs> yeah, um, or a McLaren. The or whole clamshell, more like. I think. That, <laughs> that's well, the McLaren, really. yeah. That, 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 okay, my heart rate goes up for those ones. Um, <laughs> as part of the study, the website also surveyed 1,200 drivers. Now, one in five admitted that they would rather catch a spider or even visit the dentist then attempt a parallel park. Wow. I mean, duh, look, I'll catch spiders all day long. It's all right. It's where I was born. Um, <laughs> worryingly. <laughs> this is why I'm not flying to Australia. <laughs> <my holidays. laughs> worryingly, though, 23% of the drivers admitted to asking a passenger to park in a tricky space for them. Um, what if you have no friends? What if you panic? Well, you know. You have other problems. You've got, you've got stress as well. I don't have any friends. What do I do? <laughs> That just brings on a whole new area of anxiety. As yeah. I was like, oh, now I can't park the car because I don't have any friends. Stay at home. A- Sell your car. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it really climbs quite quickly, doesn't it? I mean, what tips can we give people for anxious, for, for, to, who, who get anxious while parallel parking? What, 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 what would you guys offer? Don't drive a manual. <laughs> no one else. <laughs> it, it, it really is a tough one because... I think you're, you're, you're bound by your surroundings, right? So, I mean, the, the yeah. huge advantage we have here in the UAE um, is larger parking spaces. Can, yeah. uh, this study's come out of the UK auto trader. I mean, have you seen the parking spaces in the UK car well, park or European car park recently? You can't take wide-bodied vehicles to you, the UK like like a uh, friend of mine a couple Raptor. of years ago took, took, a, took a Ram back. Uh, a friend of mine now has just taken taken his Raptor back. You'd struggle with the, you'd you'd struggle the Raptor Ranger. Never mind a full fat Raptor. Yeah. Never mind the the, the, the four door variant that you were talking about. So yeah, um, I mean the first thing if you really want to decrease stress and anxiety is buy one of those micro cars, right? I yeah. think that will solve yes. the problem of those go, little go what they called in. The micro smart. cars. Yeah, the, the little. Uh, Oh, the, well, there's a, the, the, the smart that's that you can drive forward in. The Citroen electric car as well. The Johnny. Citroen that goes forward and yeah. backwards. Yeah. And you've got that little Renault Twingo that, like, it's like a two-seater. Um, but, yeah, I mean, apart from that, you know, buy a smaller car because you're right in the fact that it gives you anxiety and people are saying, like, they'd, they'd rather do that than go to the dentist. They'd rather go to the dentist. So it really says that. My, it yeah. spikes it, right? My, my tip is probably not for those who are parking but for the people who are who are around the parking just car to just have patience, it's going to cut what maybe thirty seconds. Going to add to your day. If that just if hang, that. like same in shopping malls. Yeah. Like it's it's aggressive. It's 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 full on warfare. Like Grand Prix in Shoreditch, you find that spot. And if someone is uh, is is taking time, you know, like I was down at Dubai Mall a few weeks ago and. 
It's hard to find a parking spot, even I found a spot. And uh, and again, I'm reversing into it. And as I'm reversing into it, the guy pulls up so close next to the front of the car that I couldn't swing the front axle around far enough. And he's flashing the lights. And so not what let- are you supposed to do? And I'm like, man, seriously, just give it another 10 <laughs> seconds and I'll be out of your head. Everybody's seen somebody <laughs> struggling to park, right? Everybody's seen somebody struggling to park in a car park. Just give that person space. You sitting right on them, looking at them in the eye and raising your blood pressure. It doesn't help. Yeah, it's just yeah, be true. calm. And get off your you phones, think, by the way. Yeah, do you if think you're also to the fact that there's no free parking left, that adds the anxiety now that you're going, whenever you park, you go, oh, I've got to yeah. cheat. Because, and has, do you think that's actually opened up any more parking spaces? I think people just want to, for some reason, park as close as possible to the entrance. They're afraid to walk. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't, there is I don't know if it's, when you look at the malls in summer, I, I don't think it's a luxury to be close to the car park. It's an, oh, next on. to the entrance. It's a necessity. <laughs> We've been to Dubai yeah. Mall. You park somewhere on the other side. By the time you get to the mall, it's like... Yeah. Marianne has, uh, <laughs> has texted in. Marianne said, the most annoying thing is when people beep you in the traffic jam and you haven't moved 20 centimeters forward. Drives me mad. Marion, I am with you on that one. Absolutely. It's it's like those guys who who watch the lights go from, from red to green and hit the horn in between the red and the green bit. <laughs> to get going. The Fangios of the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is um that is annoying. Um, so, uh, yeah, so if you do have any, do do keep them uh, running through and we'll keep an eye on the messages uh, after the show. Uh, and that's about all we've got time for uh, in the sham. What do you, uh, what do you, now you've got your, you've got your German and your Japanese vehicle. Yeah. The, la- the old Land Cruiser and the old BMW. How are they going? Um, today's report is the BMW's down, but the Land Cruiser's back. <laughs> so we'll see <laughs> next week which one I turn up in. There we go. That's where we go. Naz, any driving and adventures this week? Yes, I'm just uh, preparing the Hummer H1. I, Ooh, was, nice. I was hoping it would have cooled off by now, but like we're what? Yeah. Damien brought the heat wave back. Week of October, and it's still relatively hot and humid. So hopefully, if it just cools down another five, ten degrees, I'll. I just want to. I'm just dying to get in the Hummer H1. Just take it down. Fantastic. Use the CTIS. Drop the tire pressure. Feel like Otto Schwarzenegger. So I'm looking forward to a bit of that. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I'm, gonna, I'm off to uh, to Italy to chase some more interviews of a different kind this week. I'm going to talk to the guys from Petronas Oils about oils for electric vehicles. Yes, you do need them yeah. and other bits and pieces. So uh, next edition of Motor Mania is on the 28th of October. We'll be live again in two weeks' time. I'll bring you all the information from Petronas and what sort of oils and lubricants you need for your EVs. So, uh, um, yes, do do stick around for that one. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motor Mania with Damien Reed.